Great. Uh, well, good morning, everyone. And it's, I must say, a real delight for um, Eddie and I just to be with you all this morning. <clears throat> There's a real sense of family. That's so clear to see, and just um, that you enjoy one another. I think that's a big thing, you know, that sometimes we do church because we know the Lord wants us to be together, but I can see you enjoy each other. It's like you guys actually like each other. Um, you know, and someone, I'd heard someone once say that church is a bit like a big Italian family. That's what Josh Jen is. We have all these congregations, you know, and when we come together and we've got different folk who come in to minister from different places and, um, you know, well, who, who are they now? And like, well, I thought we were just a local church and, oh, no, you've got so-and-so in this congregation. And it's like we're one big Italian family with uncles and aunts and cousins and brothers and sisters from all over. And uh, it really is a delight to be part of this um, thing that the Lord is doing. Um, so, yeah, as um, Hannes introduced me, I'm Mike and my wife, Eddie. We've been married for 25 years. It was in January. And, um, yeah, we uh, have got three children. Our oldest is 22. She's actually serving in the Milneton congregation, slotted in there, loving. Yeah, she's a teacher and working and serving uh, there. And then our middle daughter is 20. She's actually in Bloemfontein. And so she hasn't got yet to the place where she says hot chocolate. Apparently, <laughs> apparently that's what you say if you're from Bloom. Although I don't know, Hannes is from Bloom. I'm not sure you. Hot. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, and our son is at home with us still. He's 15. He's in grade 10, and uh, with us. In, we live in Wellington, and at the moment I have the privilege to lead a discipleship school called TMT, and uh, that's based in Wellington, um, based through the congregation. And been leading that for a while. And before that, we were, we moved around a bit. We were in, we've seven years in, in Wellington. Before that, we were in Edgemead. We led, um, an Ed, the Edgemead congregation for about six years. Before that, we were in Oatsorn and we had the privilege to plant a church in the Southern Cape in Oatsorn. Um, we were there for so about five and a half, six years. And before that, we were in, uh, Sunningdale. Um, originally we came down with the church plant a few months after the plant in 99. And so, yeah, it's just been wonderful to see how God does use nobodies. Um, what's that old saying? Uh, we're just nobodies trying to tell everybody about a somebody, <laughs> the somebody. And so, um, yeah. And so this morning, I would love just to share with you on um, the marks of an encourager. And I actually want to look at the life of Barnabas this morning and pack out, uh, unpack about three or four things uh, around the life of Barnabas. And, you know, God gives us individuals in his word that he are lifted up for us as examples for us to follow. And these men and women, actually, that the Bible highlights and spotlights by name, goes into great detail about them. These individuals, often they were not perfect people. They weren't cardboard cutout saints in any way. In fact, the one thing that I find that makes the Bible true and relevant is the fact that, for example, if you read through Scripture, the Bible is very honest about the, the failings of people. And often people that were great men of God, great women of God, in their own right, they, they loved him, but they also had areas where they fell short and they were weak and they needed his grace. And um, I love that about Scripture. Even the great um, patriarchs, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I mean, you read their stories and it's like reading or watch, reading Days of Your Life. Days of your lives. Uh, it's like it's like watching or reading a soap opera. The the kind of intrigue and the brokenness and but grace that comes, the grace of God that calls out those who are weak, those who are undeserving, and He gives them an inheritance. And that's what He calls us to today: is that none of us are deserving actually of the mercy and the grace of God through Jesus. 
but he gives it to us. But the example I want us to look is of this man that gets highlighted in the book of Acts, this man Barnabas. And, um, you know, Barnabas was actually this man's uh, nickname. His name wasn't Barnabas. His name was Joseph, and his nickname was, jo- was Barnabas, which essentially means the son of encouragement, son of encouragement. And he gets mentioned first in Acts chapter 4 when um, there are individuals that are uh, kind of marked out for the generosity. And in Acts 4, Barnabas gets mentioned, Acts 4.36 around there, where he gets mentioned as a man who was incredibly generous and how he laid, um, yeah, his, what he had down at the apostles' feet. Mentions him, and then later on he comes up again. And, you know, these individuals for us in some ways, uh, someone like a Barnabas is a bit like an A-grade Christian. I think sometimes we think we're doing well, and then you read, you know, some of these individuals and you go, Lord, I want to become more like you. I want to become more like Jesus. And ultimately, Barnabas is a, a symbol for us of how we can become more like Jesus. Not become like Barnabas, but actually become like Christ. And obviously, what makes us Christians, what is the one mark of what makes you a Christian? Is the fact that you follow Jesus. You're a follower of Christ. In fact, one of the, the names of the early disciples, do you know what they were called? The, 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 the movement, when Christianity started, they were called the people of the way. Why? It's because they were of the way, they were on the way, they were following Christ, and it was a lifestyle of following him. Um, it, he wasn't just the truth. Jesus doesn't call himself just the truth. He calls himself the way. In other words, that if you follow him, followers of Jesus follow Jesus. We follow him. We, we walk on the way with him. There's a way of following him, a lifestyle, a, a life of obedience, a life of, of, of faith in him. Anyway, and so Barnabas shows us something of that. And so what I want us to do is I'd love us to look at Acts chapter 11, and I'm really going to unpack um, basically one scripture. I'm going to mention a couple others, but I'm, I'm going to look at three verses this morning, three, four verses this morning, and I want to unpack that. We're going to basically do a Bible study, because that's what I do. I just, you know, <laughs> like doing that kind of thing. So, um, and so I really want to unpack the word with you and for us to look at this man, Barnabas, and I want to encourage you and challenge you this morning that God has called us to obviously so much more in him and that we can never settle. So, Let's have a look in Acts 11, and I'm going to mention three characteristics of an encourager. Acts 11 from verse 20, we're going to read from verse 22. And um, by the way, here, if you, we see the scripture, the context was that there was um, a church that was started in a place called Antioch in, um, in, you know, in the Middle East. And Antioch, the church was started because there were people who were really nameless, faceless individuals. We actually don't know their names. And they um, went all over the, the Greek-speaking world because of persecution. And they go preaching the gospel, and many of them went to the Jews, but it says some of them went to the Greek speakers, the, the non-Jews, to actually tell them about Jesus. And because of the, that, um, there were these Greek speakers that began to believe the gospel, and from that a church was birthed. And this church, there were salvations, and there were amazing things happening in this church, and news of this new church, this new church in Antioch, began to spread down to Jerusalem, to the apostles. And so what they did is the apostles sent Barnabas, the son of encouragement, to go to Antioch, this new church, and go to encourage them in their faith. And so uh, let's read from verse 22. And it says, the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, this new church that was started, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. 
And when he came, he saw the grace of God, and he was glad. I love, don't you love that? Like he saw the grace of God, like he could see that there were lives being changed, that because of the, the spirited work, he was, God was doing something amazing, and he was glad. Don't you love it when God is at work, and you see the evidence of God's grace at work, and it's like, man, I can see God is with you, and he was glad. Do you ever get glad when you see God at work? You know, you have answers to prayer. You're seeing, um, you know, people's lives being changed. You see your friends and your family, even yourself, and you look for evidence of God's grace, and you see it. It's like, yeah, come on, that's encouraging. And so Barnabas sees this, and it says, and he exhorted them. The word there is actually um, comes from the reading courage. He encouraged them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Okay, so I want to give you a number of things from this this morning. So to in us, that the Lord would build in us a value of encouragement, of what it means to grow in encouragement. Number one, first thing I want to give you is that encouragement finds its source from the Holy Spirit. Encouragement finds its source from the Holy Spirit. And verse 24, if we look at, um, I want to actually start at the, at the end. Verse 24 says, for this man Barnabas was a good man, and it gives us a key to why he was such an encourager, because he was full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. You see, he wasn't just like naturally a good person, but he was rooted in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He knew Christ, and he had um, been filled with the Holy Spirit, and so he was a man that from that place was able to encourage others. Now, Do you know that actually encouragement is deeply linked to the ministry of the Holy Spirit? One of the words um, for the Holy Spirit, many of you know this, in John 14, it says that the Holy Spirit is a helper, or the parakletos. In other words, that word can't be translated into one word. It's, it's, It's like a diamond that has all these facets. Some Bible translation says the Holy Spirit is our comforter. Or others say that our Holy Spirit is our advocate. Or the Holy Spirit is our helper. That's what the ESV says. And the word helper essentially means one who comes alongside us. Some people say that the Holy Spirit is your defense lawyer. He's defending you. He's come alongside you to help you to serve Jesus and to follow Jesus. Um, And here, as uh, he comes through... In, in, as the encourager, the word encouragement, I'm going to give you the, the other word for encouragement, which is the word paraklesis. It's very closely linked. Now, I don't like actually throwing out Greek words because I actually encourage people don't throw out words because it's not helpful. It just makes you sound clever, but we, it's not actually helpful at all. <laughs> Why am I mentioning it today? I'm mentioning it today because the word for encouragement is paraklesis. It's very closely linked, and it means to come alongside, and it's very closely linked to how the Spirit himself comes alongside us, and he builds us up in our faith. He encourages us in the Lord. Um, and so, you know, it's interesting that that is we call to come alongside people, obviously the Spirit is within us, coming alongside us, within us, helping us to follow the Lord, to serve the Lord, to love the Lord. And um, what is amazing with the ministry of the Holy Spirit as the helper, um, the one who enables us to be filled with him and to encourage others, is actually we also have a helper in heaven. And in 1 John 2 verse 1, it says that Jesus himself is our advocate in heaven. He's our parakletos. He's actually 
our defense lawyer in heaven. And so we've got two defense lawyers. We've got a defense lawyer in heaven, a helper in heaven, who defends us in a sense, who stands on our behalf before the Father. And we've got a defense lawyer on the earth, one who stands alongside us, living within us, who's the Holy Spirit. Someone once said, um, if, if you have two defense lawyers, you could never lose a case. If God is for you, who can be against you? And so, in some ways, as, as, as Barnabas came, he came representing the Lord. He came representing the nature of God and the character of God, because the character of God is one that he wants to come alongside you to encourage you and to cause you to, 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 to flourish in your faith. Um, in Romans 15 verse 5, it actually describes God and gives the Lord a title, and it says that we can... Uh, know the Lord, who's the God of all endurance and encouragement. And actually, one of the titles for God is the God of encouragement, who comes alongside and within us to encourage us. And so Barnabas did that. He encouraged them. And in, in many ways, you know, when you encourage someone, when you see someone is struggling in their faith, or um, you needing to, we, we, we come along alongside one another. And because when we do that, we're actually doing the work of the Holy Spirit. We're doing the work of God. Um, I had a situation a number of years ago. We actually, this was around 2003. And I remember I was in a, in a time of quite deep discouragement in my life. I was um, just doubting the call of God. I was a full-time school teacher at that time. I was serving actually on eldership then in Josh Jen. And we had a leaders meeting at Russell's house, Russell Fraser. And um, all our leaders around Josh Jen, we all squeezed into his lounge. That's how big the the church was then. And about 40 of us squeezed into his lounge, and we had a, um, a an apostolic speaker who came through for the weekend, and he came to minister. And this man, his name was Rory. He came through and shared that evening. But I remember walking into the meeting, and I went right into the corner because I was just feeling I, had, I just wasn't in a good place. I was struggling with the Lord, doubting his call, just wondering, Lord, what have you got for me? And I was just feeling deeply discouraged. And I remember going to the meeting, saying hi to everyone. And I remember just sitting in the corner. I just didn't really want to be seen or uh, I just wasn't feeling very spiritual, to be honest. And he, uh, we started the meeting and he picked me out. He said, I was just obviously in the Lord. He, he said this and he said, that guy in the corner there, and he had met me before. He said, Mike, right? I said, yeah. And he said, I just want to say to you, you're a good man. You're a good man. I was like, oh, okay, thank you. Wow. Uh, <laughs> that was it. And obviously, I, I felt he picked me out. I just felt encouraged. And then the evening went on, and he, we worshipped, and he taught, and he equipped and trained us. But then later on again, at the end of the evening, he said, I want to actually just say over you again, I feel to say this in the Lord, you're a good man. You're a good man. That's all he said. And there was something of just God affirming, again, his call on my life. And he did that. And, you know, he didn't do that. There wasn't any flash, bang, um, any, anything spectacular. He just spoke words over me. And he was representing the Holy Spirit, doing the work of the Spirit. He was in the Spirit. He was, he was following the Lord. And I think, you know, part of church is that we can't do church on our own as we do it together we find encouragement, and we'll talk more about this later, together. And so it is linked to the ministry of the Spirit. And so I want to say, if you want to be an encourager, you've got to find yourself in Jesus. You've got to find yourself um, tapping into the person of the Holy Spirit. And so that's the first thing, is it finds a source in the Spirit. The second thing is this, is encouragement 
points people back to the Lord. And look what Barnabas does in verse 23. It says, he came and he saw the grace of God. He was glad and he exhorted them. It's interesting, to all, exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord, to the Lord. And it's a very obvious point, but I want to make it, is that, you know, we don't just give general encouragement to people of like, um, you know, you can do it. Believe in yourself. We, we're not self-esteem sp- people. We, we're not a church that makes much of us. And unfortunately, we live in a generation that where churches uh, have shifted. Generally, there's been a shift where we, we, we make man so great. And the, the great malaise of our modern age is that we make man great. We have great thoughts about man and very small thoughts about God. We, we have great thoughts about how great we should be and the potential within us and what we can do. And actually, we, we have a very small view of the Lord. And so what he does is he understands that to really find encouragement and to find strength is you've got to point people back to God. We've got to go back to the Lord, the one in whom we find our identity and our purpose in him. And I find that, you know, a good discipler is someone that if someone, if, and this might be a tip for you, because one thing we want to do as a church is our heart is to try and raise up every believer to be used by God. You know, we don't have professionals, as was mentioned earlier. We don't have super saints. And then we've got the clergy and the laity. I'm not a professional. Uh, there are no professionals in the kingdom. In fact, when Jesus ch- chose the 12 disciples, he chose them not from a professional religious background. And none of them were rabbi or professional clergy. None of them were the scribes or the scholars of the day. He really chose the nobodies because he wanted his church to be built upon normal people, ordinary people that could boast and point people back to the one who had all the answers. Uh, Of course, we have to be trained, but God's heart is that he raises up every one of us to be used by him. And uh, and I want to encourage you that if you, even if you haven't been a Christian long, but if you start walking with someone and discipling someone, we often, we have a culture of discipleship within Josh Jen. And if you're discipling someone, I find that the best kind of discipler is a person that when someone comes to you for prayer and for advice and comes to you and says, well, what should I do? I've got this situation. Uh, what do you think I should do? Don't just give them your advice and your wisdom. Rather say to them, well, have you prayed about it? What is the Lord telling you to do? Have you gone back to Scripture? And actually, a good leader and and a good saint will always say, let's go back to the Bible. Let's go back to Christ. What is he saying? And we build with people. We point them back to the Lord. And what Barnabas did, it says that he taught them to remain faithful to the Lord. And even though, you know, in our church, we obviously have a very strong culture of leadership where we want um, all of us. I mean, I'm a man under authority. And in many ways, I... um, I think I'm walking in the blessing of God because I've learned how to be a man under authority. I've learned how to recognize authority. But I also know that I recognize authority because they follow Christ. And I follow them as they follow Christ. The, the end is not to follow our leaders, it's to follow Jesus and to know him and pursue him and love him and that people will fall in love with him, not our brand of church and the way we do things. God forbid. We build towards Jesus. And I love the way that he did that. He pointed people back to him. And, you know, I deal a lot with students um, and with young men and women that are called by God and they want to be trained for ministry. And I find one of the greatest mistakes that especially young, zealous 
Uh, and, and older folk as well, is we're too quick to give our own advice in what we think. And we actually don't help people to hear the Lord for themselves and go back to Scripture. And I want to encourage you that, like Barnabas, an encourager points people back to the Lord. And so that's the second thing we find with him, is we're pointing back to the Lord. Sometimes we say, come along with me. I want to show you how to hear the Lord. I want to show you how to, what it means to obey him. Come along with me as we do so. Let's look at the, the third point. The third point, and I want to spend actually more time on this, is um, how encouragement, the first one was that encouragement starts by, uh, finds a source in the Holy Spirit. The second one is encouragement points people to the Lord. And the third one is encouragement puts wholehearted resolve into us, wholehearted resolve into us. And it's interesting here, in verse 23, he says, as we go back again, that's where I'm camping on at the moment, verse 23, encourage them to what? To remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, he says. It's quite interesting. He says, I want you to be faithful. I want you to do it with steadfast purpose as you follow the Lord, as you obey him. Um, I think the NIV says to remain, he encouraged them to be faithful to God with uh, all their hearts. Um, in other words, that firstly, faithfulness is required to follow Jesus. And here's the question that I want to ask you this morning. Why did he encourage them specifically in the area of to be faithful? Why, why that area? Why faithfulness? Why didn't he say, and he encouraged them all to love one another? Because, right, that's the greatest command of Jesus. Or he encouraged them all to spend more time in prayer and worship. Why does he say he encouraged them to be faithful to the Lord? Why? Well, I want to give you the answer why I think he said this. Why the emphasis on faithfulness? Because he understood that when they they signed up to become followers of Christ, and when they got born again, then implicitly the Christian life would be hard, would be difficult. It would be a a road marked with difficulty and with buffeting and with suffering. And he was trying to prepare them for hardship along the way. And by preparing them for hardship, he knew that his encouragement to them was to remain faithful in the race and to finish strong until the end. And faithfulness is in a short supply today where we kind of, you know, zeal is wonderful, but after 40 years, are you still going to be zealous? You know, I've been serving Jesus now for how long? I've been saved for probably not as long as some of you here. It's been about 31 years I've been a Christian. I, I became, I got born again when I was 17 and um, 49, now I'm turning 50 in January. Uh, I know I look a lot younger, but say. Um, and, and my prayers, and I've had seasons where my zeal for the Lord has waned. Uh, but I've had many seasons where, in a sense, today I'm more in love with the Lord. I'm more appreciative of Him. I'm, I'm, a, I'm hopefully a more zealous worshiper. More, I know Him more. Uh, I'm also more aware of my failings and my, my weaknesses But you know, I trust that after 50 years serving him, I want to be up here with like my cane, you know, with my walking stick, you know, pushing all the young guys out the way, you know, I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm not going to let the young ones come in, you know. And I think that, that, that picture for us of that Jesus said, it's those who remain faithful to the end will be saved. 
you know. And so I want to encourage you that have your eye on the end of the goal, who, who like Paul, said, um, you know, I have finished my race. And that's not how we start that counts, but it's actually how we finish. You know, the Lord doesn't hand out rewards on the halfway line. He hands out the reward of faithfulness at the end of the race. You know, can you imagine someone who does the Comrades Marathon? You know the Comrades, it's that ultra marathon. And uh, I think, well, how far is it, 90? 89 kilometers from Peter Maritzburg to Durban or return every year. And the Comrades Marathon, there's a famous halfway point in the Comrades Marathon. It's, um, what's the name? of? There's a name for it. Do any of you know what it's called? Polly. Polly Shorts. It's at the Polly Shorts section. Okay. And, you know, there's, uh, what I've seen from TV, you know, there's, you've reached the halfway mark. And I know that there's, you know, when people, there's a psychological probably, oh, I'm halfway. You know, I've done 45 kilometers and I'm, I'm halfway there. It's kind of only downhill for the rest of the way, I suppose, if you're going the downhill route from Peter Maritzburg to Durban. Or, um, clearly I'm not an ultra marathon runner, you can see. But can you imagine that if you've got a runner doing the Comrades Marathon and at the halfway point, he like, he goes, he starts jumping up and down, you know, twirling around and suddenly he sits down on the grass, he lies down, he's like, I made it, I made it to the halfway line. What will people think of him? They'll look at him and go, you're here to run the whole race, not to go halfway. And I think sometimes we, we're so short-sighted that we want to, I'm going to make it to the end of the year. I'm going to, my friends, we are here to make it to, you know, until G, if Jesus doesn't come back, you, until you're 80 or 90, are you building your life for the Lord, preparing as if you will serve him until you're 80 or 90 or 100 years old? Where will you be in 60 years' time, in 40 years' time, in 50 years' time? Some of you would have gone on to glory already, <laughs> but a lot of you might be here. You know, Ivan would probably... He'll be in glory. He's already, what are you, man? You're old, man. <laughs> right? And sometimes, my friends, God's encouragement to us, and I want us to look, you know, when it comes to this encouragement that he gave them to remain faithful with steadfast purpose, with a wholehearted abandon, is that zeal is not just for the young. Romans 12 says the, the, the ex- exhortation for all believers is that we would all remain zealous for him. Do not be lacking in zeal for every believer. And one of the ways God encourages us to remain faithful, and I want us to look at a story quickly in, in Jeremiah 12. And it's quite a, 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 it's quite a um, disturbing or encouraging story in some ways. And we see here that I was reading this a while ago, and God really spoke to me through the story of Jeremiah. And here, effectively, what Jer- God is doing to Jeremiah, the Lord was encouraging him in faithfulness. But the Lord does it in a way that might not be uh, the way we would expect the Lord to do it. And sometimes when we want encouragement, we, we want someone to put our, our arm around our shoulder and say, it's okay, you can sit down and rest for a while. You can take a break, take a sabbatical from church. You know, you did so hard, you know, serving the Lord. And, and it's okay, just, you just sit down and take a break. You just sit on the sidelines for a while. You, you step out of the race for a while. But look what God says to Jeremiah. And by the way, uh, you read it on your own. I love the, the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a man, just as a prophet, my favorite prophet, a man who was very vulnerable emotionally. And when you read Jeremiah, you find that he often wrestled with the call of God. He wrestled with the character of God. And he was a man that often even was disappointed with the Lord. 
at some point he actually prays and he says, Lord, you've tricked me, basically. He says, Lord, you called me, but I didn't realize how hard it was. You've tricked me. And he says, but Lord, and, he, and then he says, cursed be the day that I was born. And then he even says, cursed be, you know, my mother who bore me. That, that she, not quite cursed be my mother, but cursed be the one who bore me, me into this world, that I would be a, a, a recipient of suffering and difficulty. And he was struggling with disappointment with God. And this man, Jeremiah, uh, carries on and in chapter 12, uh, just before 12, the Lord, Jeremiah is actually complaining to God. He's, he's, he's saying to the Lord, and by the way, you know, that it's okay to sometimes practice godly complaint. It's actually okay to complain to the Lord sometimes. In fact, two-thirds of the Psalms are what are called lamentations, laments. They're singing the blues. Um, that's really what it is. You know? You know what the blues are? It's a genre of like complaint, really, you know. Woke up this morning, do 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 do, you know, my girlfriend left me for dead, do 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 do, but nobody now, you know. It's like you listen to the blues and it's like and in a sense, there's part of the tradition of the Psalms of worship and, and the prophets they lived in this where they knew that because they loved the Lord so much and they trusted him so much that they could actually complain to him. Not out of doubt but actually because of faith. Not so much. Eventually, they wouldn't always stay on grumble copy. They, they would move to Praise Mountain, but sometimes they had to realize, I'm here now, and I've got to get there, and I've got to work this out with the Lord. And I've seen, again, with um, especially with traditional culture, if you've come from a traditional church like I did, I was never taught to be honest with God. And so part of our encouragement, the way God encourages Jeremiah, Jeremiah here, uh, we'll see, he's, he's wrestling and complaining to the Lord, and he's complaining about these men in his hometown of Anathoth. That was the name of the town. And as Jeremiah gets called by God, he's, you know, he's going to go and preach the word and be faithful to God's word. Jeremiah goes out being faithful to the Lord. And people in his hometown begin to persecute him. They begin to, in fact, some of them were threatening his very life and saying, we are going to take your life because of, of your, the way that you're preaching. We don't agree with it. And, um, and he's complaining to the Lord. And if you read uh, Jeremiah 12, he's like, oh, Lord, you know, this is hard and this is difficult and why? And Lord, I, I raise my complaint to you, he says. And you know how the Lord responds to him? Because God is actually wanting to encourage him to remain faithful to the end. How does God encourage Jeremiah? He says this to him. I love this. In verse 5, the Lord, and if, if you've got your Bible here, it actually the, the heading here that the Bible translators put on says, the Lord answers Jeremiah. And before that, from his complaint. And in verse 5, this is how the Lord encourages Jeremiah. He says, if you have raced with men on foot and they have wearied you, How will you compete with horses? And if in a safe land you are so trusting, what will you do in the thicket of the Jordan? What is God saying here to Jeremiah? He's actually saying to Jeremiah, my boy, I want you to toughen up. Things are going to get a lot harder. It's going to get tougher. Why do we know that? Well, the first part is quite simple. We know that that he's saying, actually, you at the moment have been running at the pace of men, but I've called you to run with the horses. 
I've called you to go beyond what your capacity is right now because I've called you to more. I've called you to run with the horses. Don't you love that analogy? Don't you love that picture? But then he says this, and if in a safe land you're so trusting, what will you do in the thicket of the Jordan? Okay, what, what, what's happening in the thicket of the Jordan? Like, why would he mention that? Well, in those times, there were wild animals that roamed the land of Israel. Because, you know, animals don't belong in zoos. They're wild. South Africa was full of wild lions uh, roaming all over. In fact, the story of um, Andrew Murray, let me just digress slightly. Andrew Murray, uh, the famous author, his very first church, his pastorate, was in Bloemfontein. And it was, uh, and, and his diocese, or the, the members of his church, were spread on farms in like a 200-kilometer radius around the, the the town of Bloemfontein. And he would go on horseback to go as a pastor to go and you know teach them and 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 meet with his, the saints and to you know just pray with them and encourage them. And often he would speak about going on horseback, and there would be wild packs of wild dogs, and sometimes you'd come across a wild li- a lion that literally would, would want to attack him. And the once he said that his horse got so scared as he was off his horse, take, giving it a drink, that his horse ran away and he had another 30 kilometers to the farm and there was a pack of wild dogs that were literally you know, on him. And he walked the whole way with this pack of wild dogs on him. He said, like, wow, that's, that is a pastor, right? <laughs> anyway, in the thicket of the Jordan, what has this got to do with the thicket of the Jordan? Good question. In the thicket of the Jordan lived lions. Essentially, the lions would have their dens in the thicket of the Jordan by these bushes along the Jordan River. That's where you'd find wild lions. And what he's saying here is saying that, you know, you've been actually in a safe land so far, but I'm going to put you with the lions. Are you going to be ready for the lions? Now, you say, but Mike, why is this encouraging? Because God's heart, my friends, is to build into you and I a resilience into our faith. That he wants us to be resilient. He wants us to be thick-skinned but soft-hearted. He wants us to be hard-headed but, but to have a deep love for people. And he wants us to toughen up. And we're in a generation that unfortunately is a, we give up too easily. We get discouraged too easily. We want to give up from the faith. And maybe it's because we've been sold a lie. That if you come to Christ, that a life with Christ is a life of blessings and it is blessings, but without suffering and without adversity. The blessings of God over our lives are prosperity and adversity. And when you sign up for Jesus, to Jesus, you're signing up for life that involves the cross and saying, I'm, I'm not living for myself any longer. I'm living for him. And it might be even this morning that the Lord would want to say to some of you, You actually, you think things are hard now. I'm going to give you capacity that one day you're going to look back and you're going to see how I've used you and grown you because actually I've got, what I've got for you requires more than you can live in right now. But it's only found through him, through him, as we find ourselves in him. You know, if I, you know, we we don't know what the plans of God look like for our lives. You know, the Bible says in Ephesians 2, that God has prepared good works in advance for us to do. And he's got these good works for you in advance. But if he has to show you those good works, you would probably run away. You would like, "Uh uh-uh, I can't do that. And you would run the opposite direction. 
God in his wisdom does not always show you the good works he has in his store for you. Because if he knew, he knew that there would be horses that you'd have to run alongside and lions you'd have to contend with, you'd probably just, uh uh-uh, <laughs> keeping milk horse, it's nice and safe. <laughs> Maybe there's lions at the thicket of, in the thicket of milk horse as well. And so, my friends, I want to say to you that God's heart to build encouragement is sometimes through saying, come on. I've called you to more. I've given you my spirit. As you lean into Jesus and put your faith in my son, actually, I need you to be resilient in me. And so what does encouragement do? Encouragement puts wholehearted resolve in us. And the last scripture I want to read for us in light of this is in Hebrews 3, 12 to 14. And um, let's have a look. And here is the exhortation to encouragement. By the way, the book of Hebrews is just an incredible letter. Um, in Hebrews 3, verse 12. But if you know some of what's happening in the story, what is the backstory in Hebrews? The backstory here was that these were people that had followed Jesus. They actually were Jewish Christians or Jews that had gotten saved and started following the Messiah. But things began to get hard. They wanted to give up. And how did they want to give up? They wanted to go back under the law, back to Judaism. And he's saying to them that actually you can't drift back. You've got to see Jesus. And the whole book of Hebrews is a book all about Jesus. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than the angels. The promises of Jesus are better than the promises under the old covenant. The new is better than the old. And he's encouraging them the whole time. And the, the thing he does here is he encourages them. He says this, and it's a warning And an encouragement, and I'll do this in closing. He says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort or encourage one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. What is he saying here? He's saying, my friends, we need to encourage one another. Why do we need to encourage one another? Because encouragement towards Jesus guards our heart from sin. How do you overcome sin? How do you overcome, maybe you've got struggling with an addiction or actually a foothold of sin in your life. How are you going to overcome that? One of the, the answers of how you overcome it, according to Hebrews 3, is through encouraging one another. In other words, sanctification happens in the house. Discipleship happens when we're in relationship with one another. And if you want to overcome, have someone next to you that can spur you on in the faith. It says, come on, we're going to serve the Lord together. We're going to love him together. I'm going to pray for you. And if you are on your own, it is a recipe, I believe, that is the devil's strategy. If he can isolate you, and keep you unaccountable without those friendships and those senses of being knitted in, if he can keep you like that, well, that is a recipe for hardness of heart and deceit to break in. You know, one of the saddest things about COVID, um, COVID was also good in, men, in some ways for us, but it was also negative because what it did, it put us on our own. And I know many people that were on their own for a period of time, and it actually, it, it had, they ended up going down all these rabbit trails of weird teachings and doctrines, and they stopped being with the believers. My friends, it's like God's way 
of growing in holiness is being together to encourage one another in the Lord. And um, I had friends, when I got saved, I had three friends who got saved with me. Uh, their names were Brett, Kevin, and Adrian. And um, these three guys, they, I was 17, got saved, I was in my matric year, and I know I probably would not be where I am today in the Lord, just even just growing in Him. Not, I'm not talking about ministry, I'm just talking about serving the Lord, if it wasn't for those three friends. Um, we did everything together. We prayed together. We would um, read the Bible together. We would encourage one another. We would do life together. Uh, we would often go witnessing together. I remember the one, Kevin had a car, a red car, where he, um, we would sit in the car and drive around Port Elizabeth, where I grew up, looking for hitchhikers so we could pick them up and witness to them. Um, we would just, I mean, we'd, do, we'd pray together. We'd read the Bible together. we we talk about what God was doing, and we, we learned how to fellowship in the Lord and to stir up one another in the faith. As a young Christian, I shudder to think what I would have fallen into in terms of sin if my friends hadn't held me in the Lord. Just They weren't trying to say, can we speak into your life now? You know, like, come, we're going to be accountable. We didn't, we didn't have that kind of language. We just loved the Lord together. We were on the way with Jesus together. And so isn't that the beauty of the way God designs us in church? And so I want to pray for us as we close, saying that God's heart for us is, is, is a heart to grow in the culture of encouragement. When last did you encourage somebody else? When last did you come alongside someone, pray for them, and say, how can I actually encourage them? Maybe like a Rory did to me or you know, someone that has done to you. And I want you to ask the Lord to say, Lord, would you use me? Would you use me to be like a Barnabas, like a Jesus, the greatest son of encouragement there was? And, um, and so I want to pray for you as, as we close. Let's, let's pray. Come, Lord. Oh, we love you, Lord. We love you, Lord Jesus. We praise you this morning. Lord, we want to... Um, Confess this morning that you are the God of all encouragement, endurance and encouragement on you. Lord, we thank you that your aim for us is not just to start well in this life of faith, but you want us to finish in faith. You want us to remain in Christ, that your desire, Lord, is that we would have confidence in Jesus until the end. Lord, that you are looking for people that would be resilient and faithful, remaining in you, Lord, we know that the way to remain like that is through encouragement, that somehow that you have ordained encouragement as we speak it over each other's lives, as we walk alongside one another, as we do the work of the Holy Spirit with the help of the Spirit, that we'd become those kind of people.